Abigail Smithson, and I am a visual artist who loves sports, especially basketball. This podcast is a discussion of sports from the perspective of an artist, rooted in far-reaching concepts about social constructs, representation, and use of the body. For this episode, I am so happy to have Tema Smith as my guest. Tema writes for the Jewish Daily Forward, and she recently wrote an article entitled, Are Jews White? American History Says It's Complicated. This piece takes a deep dive into the term passing, and how it has been used and misused historically. Tema writes from her personal experience, and our conversation spans stories from her childhood, as well as covering in detail the Canadian census and how it allows for a more nuanced approach in racial and ethnic makeup than the United States. Thank you so much to Tema for coming on the pod and sharing her thoughts. As a side note, because Tema is from Toronto and is a longtime Raptors fan, I have to give a shout-out to the newly minted Eastern Conference Champions, that will be making their first ever trip to the NBA Finals. Although Tema and I will soon become enemies as the Warriors attempt to defend their championship title against the Raptors, I appreciate what this means for her, Drake, and the city of Toronto. But, go Dubs. Hi, Tema. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Yeah, this is actually my first international uh, podcast, so it's it's exciting for me as well for many reasons. So, um, so <laughs> crossing, yeah, international borders. So, I had um, read your piece earlier this year. Are Jews white? American history says it's complicated. That you wrote for the Jewish Daily Forward. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it brought up a lot of important points and questions about how we discuss our own bodies and how we discuss bodies of, of other people, which I think is relates maybe abstractly to to sports, but still the question of the body and the question of the the value, the importance, and how it defines us. Um, and so this... This article that you wrote, I wanted to kind of take a deep dive into and and talk about your experience and what maybe led you to decide to write about it uh, because it seems like it's a an an ongoing theme or an important important theme for you. So I was hoping that we could we could start there and maybe you could tell a little bit about your yourself and um, where you work and where you live and things like that. Sure. So um, I guess the short version of a long life story yeah. is, um, is so I am born and raised in Toronto. Um, my dad is from New York. My mom's originally from Toronto. Um, and my dad's family um, is originally from the Bahamas, but they're a large Catholic family um, so who immigrated sort of in the middle of having kids. So the older seven were born in the Bahamas and the younger three were born um, in New York. So my dad was born in Brooklyn and moved to Staten Island very, very young. Um, so basically he grew up on Staten Island in New York. Um, my dad's uh, family 
are from my my dad's father, my paternal grandfather's from Nassau originally, mm-hmm. and my paternal grandmother is from Long Island, Bahamas, um, and both sort of um, were closer to the family history of my father's mother, um, and uh, because she was she she sort of preserved it in a different way, but from what we can gather, um, my father's father's side were merchants um, and. Um, my my grandfather went to school in England and so on and so forth, but from the pictures was relatively dark-skinned. Um, my father's mother um, herself was light-skinned, um, and we've learned her father was white and her mother was black. Um, and, um, you know, with all of the attendant co- complications of that in former sure. slave state, in former slaveholding uh, places... Um, but, you know, in the United States, they were black. That was, you know, very straightforwardly, you know, um, they were black and especially on Staten Island, which is a very white place. They were black. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of my father's side of the family. My mom's side of the family has sort of the typical Ashkenazi Jewish story. We don't really know where my grandfather's family came from, but they came through Romania as refugees in the 20s. My grandmother's family, much more straightforward. We actually have their address from where they lived in Poland. They came as uh, immigrants in the 20s also. Okay. Um, my grandfather's family was in Montreal. My mom, my grandmother's family was in Toronto. And my mom grew up in a multi-generational house that was my great-grandparents' house. Um, so it was my great-grandparents, my grandparents, and my mother and her brother um, in Midtown Toronto. Um, and my mom in her early twenties moved to New York to be an artist, um, and to get in touch with her Jewish roots. And what I jokingly always say is, um, she, she ended up, uh, getting so in touch with them that she married like a black lapsed Catholic, um, (laughs) which is kind of a funny story. And my dad, um, for his part was meant to have gone into, um, seminary to become a priest and he was so disillusioned with racism in the Catholic Church that he started reading philosophy and married a Jew. Um, so both of my parents are kind of, you know, were sort of outside the box uh, people. Um, and ultimately, they were like young in New York in the late 70s um, with no money. And my mom was just like, this is not a tolerable circumstance, both as having no money and as being an interracial couple. And uh, she was like, I'm moving back to Toronto. You can come. And so my dad followed and has been here since 1980. Um, And then I was born a few years after they got married in 1980. So that's, in a nutshell, like my life story. Um, And uh, as far as work, um, sort of by a series of happy accidents, I started working in the Jewish community about a decade ago. Um, initially on a Holocaust education project, um, but soon after that, I started working in synagogues. So now I'm just coming up to three years working at my current congregation, which is the oldest synagogue in Toronto and the largest reform congregation in Canada, um, called Holy Blossom. And I work there doing community building, um, and membership and all of those sorts of things. Um, but my real sort of passion project as part of that work is working on questions of race and Judaism and inclusion and, you know, interfaith couples and families and what does it look like for racially diverse Jews 
within a largely Ashkenazi Jewish community to be full participants as their full selves. Um, so that sort of, in a nutshell, is where I ended up starting to write on these topics. And the question of passing for me has always been, um, even when I couldn't really articulate it, it's always been a strong um, question for me because I am, I sort of look very phenotypically Jewish. I'm white skinned, um, you know, dark hair, dark eyes, glasses, you know, the whole thing. Never mind the fact that I look exactly like my father's family. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people just encountering me, they generally um, do not assume that I am uh, mixed. And so I've always, and because my parents very much raised me as understanding my identity, as being both that black identity and my Jewish identity, um, the question of like, what does it mean to identify as something that people don't see you as has become a big question. And a number of uh, members of my father's family are actually really interested in that question as well. I have a cousin who's like, written her PhD on, uh, on legal categories around, around race and passing and things like that. And another cousin wrote a book on, um, sort of, it was called American Tapestry about Michelle Obama's family and how, you know, sort of that interplay of white and black in American contexts, um, and like the complications around slavery and how that, um, led to most black Americans having at least one white person somewhere in their family tree. Um, it's been a real sort of question that my family's asked a lot about, um, in terms of sort of multiracial identity and Mm -hmm. things like that. So, um, yeah, in a nutshell, that's sort of very much, um, a strong interest for me. And it really, it was funny. I was going through old writing and found that I've kind of been writing about this since high school, um, which surprised me. Um, but I found an old, when I was high school newspaper editor, um, in grade in, in my, we had, uh, grade 13 here it was called OAC Ontario Academic Credit um so in my OAC year I was um I was editor of our school newspaper and one of my editorials um was like what does it mean to like say that somebody seems a certain race and like how is stereotyping anything helpful um and things like that that was very like on the topic of like what does race mean how is it constructed what does it mean when people don't fit the binaries that we've created yeah and and meet our our expectations to what uh Mm -hmm. yeah they should um look like or be like right exactly and for me because I very much especially like walking through the Jewish world right now, um, I feel like I'm constantly surprising people. Like that seems to be just sort of what happens in my life is that, you know, people then find out my life story and it's like cognitive dissonance to them because, you know, here I'm this like Jewish, first of all, there's so many conversations within the Jewish world about who is, you know, who are the people who become sort of the Jewish leaders. And there's all sorts of assumptions about what their families look like. Um, and generally speaking, an interfaith interracial family is not what people expect that, uh, somebody who's like a Jewish leader to have come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I surprise people on that. And then I also surprise people because I don't look how they expect me to look, um, when I reveal that I'm black or part black. Um, so it's been a very interesting, um, 
an interesting path to walk. Um, I, I kind of just uh, think that a lot of people think that my dad isn't my real dad most of the time, which is funny to me. I mean, it's depressing. Like, I've right. been hearing it my whole life. But it is, um, at this point, I've chosen to see it as humorous. Yeah, you you um, tell that story in the article about uh, kids at school saying that your dad is not your real dad or else your skin yeah. would be a different color. And, and I'm wondering how your parents, uh, besides sort of the um, reacting to what other people were perceiving you as, if, if they also explained to you or how they kind of uh, helped shape your identity around your identity, if that makes sense, or your perception of yourself? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know that they actually did much. I'm trying to remember. I I mean, obviously, this is now so long ago, but I know, like, being really young and some of the conversations I've had with my mom um, now when we look back on, like, funny you know my brother my brother's two and a half years younger than me and is darker than I am um and so like we have the baby book that like they did with me to make me feel included in like having a younger sibling you know Mm -hmm. as as one does and like in one of them you know it's it's like a question about like differences and things like that and like describe my family and I said something um obviously I wasn't so good at colors yet um but I said that my brother and my dad were brown and my mom and I were gray um which is really funny um but um and so like conversations I've had with my mom where she was she's like oh my gosh like here I am, I'm a mother of a three-year-old, and I'm like, she already sees race, and then I realize, no, she's actually just describing color, Um, like, you know, like, she would describe the different colors of crayons in a box, like, Mm -hmm. it's not, at that point, it wasn't, like, it wasn't imbued with all of that social context, Um, and, you know, thinking about some of that stuff, and just how, I think, probably because of some of that early stuff and the fact that my brother and I were different colors and I was a different color than my dad, that some of the conversations um, that we would have had probably when I was very young were probably in many ways anticipatory of questions I would get later that, you know, multiracial families look a certain way and like skin color can come from either of your parents and like questions like that. Um, but also both of my parents were really committed to making sure that, for example, um, like, so our religion at home was Jewish. Mm -hmm. We did, it was quite a secular sort of cultural Judaism, but we did all the Jewish holidays and so on and so forth. Um, but my parents made a real effort to make sure that we were also getting, um, you know, stories of black culture. So, you know, we had um, a whole large number of black um, sort of storybooks, whether they were about, um, you know, American history. I remember we had like Follow the Drinking Gourd was one of the things like that. Or like um, just all sorts of, all sorts of things like that, as well as having black dolls and black Barbies and all of that. And sort of being very I think they were very aware and very conscious I don't know whether they like planned this or if this was just sort of their personalities that it was really important to educate us in both of the cultures that we came from and part of that meant 
um, introducing the themes and topics of those cultures. So by the time I was facing, you know, these outside questions, it was more like a, how can they say I'm not what I am mm-hmm. rather than something that was like destabilizing my identity in some way, if that makes sense. It was like, whoa, these kids are saying that you're not my dad, but of course you're my dad. And of course I'm mixed and this is what it is. Right. Um, rather than me feeling like, whoa, is there something my parents didn't tell me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and I remember, like, I don't know if my memory is, like, totally clear, but in my head, I, like, ran out of the schoolyard after my dad. I don't know if I actually left the schoolyard. I was, like, a <laughs> rule-abiding kid and, like, made my dad come back and tell them that he was my real dad. Uh, that might be fictionalized, sure. but... Uh, but, you know, in my head, I was like, nope, the answer to this is for my dad to tell them he absolutely is my father. Um, and, uh, you know, what I don't say, I think, in the article that still is um, funny to me is that all of those kids were light skinned, too. Um, and it. I don't know. I haven't fully parsed what that means to me, that they were all quite light, but they were like visibly darker than I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was really um, I feel like there's something to that. Um, and and it's really interesting. And I always joke around like the Canadian community, the Canadian black community is so like heavily Caribbean um, that like for my whole life, I remember being like 16 years old. And I think some of this um, has also shaped the way that I see myself but like being 16 years old and I had my first job I was working at Gap Kids and there was a woman who was probably in her 20s but like in in my head she was like so old Mm -hmm. Uh, she was Caribbean and one day we're in the staff room and she looks at me and she goes your dad's black right she had met my mom and I was like yes absolutely (laughs) so like hearing that over and over from like Caribbeans who are used to especially Jamaicans who are like used to like a full range or like um Barbadians or Bahamians like the countries that have like a lot of racial mixing um just sort of always provided a a point outside of my family of reference I remember my grade eight teacher who was Jamaican saying that she had siblings she was like dark 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 had siblings that were my color um and so like having grown up in a context where like Caribbeans very much recognize that I am mixed um also I think helped sort of shape that identity yeah it's it's so interesting also like the 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 asking and the interests and the the uh identifying um mm-hmm. can can be so different depending on who is who is saying it right who is asking the question um and that's that that was i mean i i understand the way you're describing it is that that was a positive moment for you when this woman identified that that your father was black. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's because I feel like if I hadn't had those people telling me my father wasn't my father and it was so common at that point for people to be like, if they met my father, um, be like, Oh, you, are you adopted? Oh, is that your stepdad? Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. like it was just so common at that point. And I feel like if that hadn't been so common, those moments of recognition, um, wouldn't have mattered to me in the same way, mm-hmm. but it was like, Oh, someone sees me for what I am. This is exciting. Um, and, 
you know, so having people like positively identify my race or like correctly identify my race always felt really, um, like reassuring in some way. And I remember a number of years ago, uh, Toronto life, which is kind of like, I don't even know what to compare it to. Maybe New York magazine. I don't, I don't really know. Anyhow, Mm -hmm. um, it's a Toronto based sort of culture, lifestyle magazine that does also like the listings and like what they have at the wine store. Like it's kind of that sort of a magazine, um, had a cover story, um, that was written by somebody mixed who's Asian and white. Um, I can't remember, I think Chinese and white. Um, and you know, one of the first things that he talks about in it is like the mixed kid code where like you see another mixed person and you like, you say you're mixed. Right. And like, and it was really funny because that is a thing that we do. I don't think I had ever really articulated it. So uh-huh. I remember one of my best friends, and she might kill me for telling this story, but whatever. Um, when I was living in my college town, which is like a town in central Ontario, um, it's about 75,000 people, um, very white, um, you know, if the very, very white. And I was like 19 years old and I had just moved there and I was starting to work at this cafe. And there was a a girl working at the cafe about my age who looked mixed to me, Mm -hmm. but I knew she was from this town. And I was like, there's no way, there's no way that she's mixed. So I'm trying to figure out like how to nicely ask her if she's mixed without like because she's from this small town saying something that she's going to be offended by. Um, And like, of course it turned out she's mixed. Um, And, but you know, I feel like this says everything about the small town is for the next three years that I lived there, everyone thought that we were sisters, um, which is hysterical because we don't anything alike, Um, except for we both had curly hair and wore glasses. Um, But you, you know, there's like this need to know between mixed people, like, are you mixed oh, great, and then it's, like, this instant kinship. I don't really know what that's... I mean, I guess it's about being in between and not feeling like you fit, so you fit with the other people who don't fit. Right. Yeah. I want to come back to being in between. Mm -hmm. If we could, um, I just want to read a part of your your essay that you wrote and maybe talk a little bit about the term passing. Sure. Um, Cause I was, yeah, I'm just going to read the part first and then, and then we will discuss. Okay. I appreciate the discomfort that many Jews feel being categorized as white. And yet this use of the term passing is wrong. Not only is it inaccurate, it co-ops a term that describes a particular experience of race in America and erases all of the per- particularities that passing describes, leaving those of us who are white passing people of color with no meaningful way of explaining the issues we face in a society still structured on a black slash white racial binary. Yes. So Uh I feel like this was the um, crux of the the essay where it's very much connected to your own experience and that is where you're speaking from. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then also it brings in this historical use of the term passing where as I, I had never heard, I had heard of Jewish people being referred to as gray. 
Um, right. Which is so interesting that you uh, said that when you were little, but I had never yeah. heard of the of the of Jewish people using the term passing, and right. so of course this is an kind of appropriation of history that does not belong to the Jewish people uh, as in the United States. And so, yeah, I would just love for you to, to speak more about this. Sure. So I kind of came across it. Um, I think I had always heard people, some people say it. And like, I feel like also positioning myself as Canadian here is important. So mm-hmm. obviously I, I speak the language of American race, um, but I live in Canada where we have a little bit of a different way of talking about race. And so um, in that, like, you know, we, I think as a culture are more focused on concepts of ethnicity. Um, and when I went like hunting down evidence of this, Um, you know, I came across the American census, which like asks you your race and like lists a bunch of races. And then the only option under ethnicity is Hispanic or non-Hispanic. Whereas our census form here, ethnicity is the main question and it's actually a write in category and like gives you examples, um, everything from like Polish to like Chinese Mm -hmm. um, and Jewish was one of the examples for a long time there. So you could actually write in that your, that your ethnicity is Jewish. And that was like suggested on the census as, as a viable option. Um, And so I always grew up that Jews were sort of like a non-white kind of white Mm -hmm. um, with the legacy of anti-Semitism that is still really fresh um, with, you know, my mom vividly remembers restricted clubs and things like that. Like we're not so far away um, and there's definitely a racialization of Jews as non-white that still happens um, in Canada and in the U.S. And so I always kind of grew up not really thinking about, um, like I always, I, I never describe myself as white um, or like, mixed with white. I always describe myself as like black and Jewish. Um, and so I never had really thought about the whiteness of Jews other than like as a social construct of like, Hey, like when you see a Jew walking down the street, you assume that they're white until you know that they're Jewish, you know, like that sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's even a sloppy way of putting it, but that like Jewishness was like white with an asterisk in some ways. Um, And I really came across this more the more I started wading into conversations around Jews and whiteness that a lot of people were using um, the term passing to describe the Jewish experience. And it didn't really sit right with me, but like I never really gave it too much thought. And then I guess it was over the summer, um, a writer named Nyla Burton um, wrote a piece for The Forward that was like, white Jews, stop calling yourself white passing. And it was just very blunt, and it kind of exploded Twitter. People were, and Facebook, like, people were going insane, like, how can you say these things, and Jews aren't white, and we pass, and all of this stuff. And sort of at that time, as this conversation kept coming around, I thought, okay, like, it's time for me to write about this, because I think that Nihilist piece was really powerful, but it didn't actually go deep into explaining the history of Jews and whiteness, um, which... 
you know, I think is really important to think about that history in the U.S. of race is actually a legal history. It's not just like a, a like, what does, what do people say about your race? But right. there's actually like laws around who counted as white and who didn't. Um, and that those laws go back to the founding of the United States. So like, who counted as a citizen, who had a right to immigrate, who was covered by anti-miscegenation laws. And in almost all of those examples, actually in all of those examples, other than in like some of the more sort of nationalist moments where they classified people into like good white people and bad white people um, for immigration purposes, um, that... um, that Jews counted as white. And we see it like throughout with, for example, um, there were a small number of Jews who did own slaves. Um, there were Jews who were involved in sort of the elite in New York. Um, and there's really amazing historical documents, um, about, um, sort of British Jewish families living in New York. There's one in particular that I'm thinking of and I've forgotten the name. Um, but one, but you know, she's writing letters back to her family in England saying like, what do I do? Like my child wants to marry like a Delancey. So like, obviously Jews were seen as marriageable by like New York elite, mm-hmm. uh, whites. Um, and so on and so forth. So throughout throughout the history and where it gets sort of more muddy of course is like when eastern european jews start coming in um but you know they were also at that time uh pretty discriminatory towards like ukrainians coming in and italians and irish like there were definitely classes of white and i think because of the religious layer and, you know, the long history of Christian anti-Semitism and some of that has become extremely sort of racialized that, and some of it has really lingered in a different way than say anti-Italian sentiment has lingered. Um, Jews kind of forget that actually there's this other layer of identity that is ethnicity and that there's prejudice based on ethnicity, but that's not the same as race. Um, and it's really, and it also gets complicated because of the Jewish history of diaspora and the fact that like Ashkenazi, you know, for I have friends who've done the 23 and me swab and like come back as 98% Ashkenazi. So because mm-hmm. there's that and like, you know, the, the, the genetics being more close to people from the Middle East, I think there's also, um, and obviously like the fact that we know that we are a diaspora people who came from the Middle East, it becomes really complicated. But on that count, Middle East and North Africa is classified by the American census as white. Um, so it, it gets really complicated. Yeah. And I started to get sort of frustrated um, because of the fact that, you know, before Loving versus Virginia, like, my parents' marriage was illegal in a lot of states. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think of, like, Trevor Noah, Trevor Noah's book, Born a Crime, um, obviously about a very different context. Um, But, um, you know, that, that sort of sense that, like, hey, like, actually, according to American law, in many ways, like, I shouldn't exist. And not only that, there's actually, like, in, before, there's 
the census is so complicated about who was lobbying for what, but, you know, there's been a, a long history until they started adding multiracial categories, like, very recently, in the last, like, 15 years, that, like, I would have had to choose between a box that said white and a box that said black, or, like, previously, I would have chosen, like, quadroon or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and so, like, very much that the legal system in the United States actually, um, it wasn't that I didn't feel comfortable checking the white box because I'm Jewish. It was because in order to check a white, the box that said white, I would be actively disowning half of my family. Um, and there's also this very painful history, if you read about um, people who did choose to pass for economic opportunity, for example, where they actually had to basically disown, disavow their families. And that's just not, yes, of course, there are Jews who have assimilated and whatever that means, um, you know, given up their Jewish identity, moved away from their families, but it's a very different history than having to do so, um, having to do so so that you actually have the legal opportunity um, to marry or to own property or to whatever it might be. And, you know, I think that was for me the line is when I started, it was actually through a conversation with somebody on Twitter that was really um, helpful was I started to really see the difference between the black experience of passing and the Jewish experience of assimilating. Mm -hmm. So one was, you know, running away from something for legal opportunity. The other was um, taking advantage of the ability to blend in, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's, lots of parallels and I think that's why we struggle over things like Jews wanting to use the word passing because there's huge parallels that you know if the insurance company isn't going to hire you um just like change your name and don't tell anyone you're Jewish is like not that different um but what it's missing is that legal history yeah and, and like, I think the way oh sorry go ahead yeah, I just was going to say, like, I think of, my mom was telling me a story really recently of when she was a kid, she grew up in a neighborhood that was quite um, waspy. And one of her classmates was having a birthday party at the Granite Club, which is a club, a private members club here in Toronto, and it was restricted. And she was invited because the whole class was invited. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother said, you know, just go. No one needs to know you're Jewish. And my grandfather said, absolutely not. You're not going. You're Jewish. We we don't do that. But, like, my grandmother's attitude, like, just don't tell anyone. Right. And that's very much how she went through life, was, like, you just don't have to tell anyone you're Jewish, um, is a very parallel experience. Um, and, and so that's why I think, like, I think it's actually a really fertile ground for having conversation, but we have to use the right language. Yes, and I think also when you are able to identify in your essay that passing is about giving up. So you mentioned here this idea of, of running away, um, mm -hmm. which also means like leaving behind and that mm -hmm. there's the sense of loss within uh, passing that with your um, 
your grandmother telling your mother that it might seem like, oh, just do this for a day, maybe, or, you know, just right. just temporarily for this event, just no one has to know. But uh, whereas um, maybe there are, with passing with the history of African-Americans in the United States, it's um, more of uh, a permanent decision. Yeah, so I think of um, I think I I mentioned I do mention my cousin's book um, mm-hmm. in in the article. Um, so my cousin Elizabeth Smith Pryor wrote a book that's a legal history of um, basically an annulment case um, for for a marriage in New York um, in. I believe it's the 20s, but early, early in the 20th century. And um, New York did not have anti-miscegenation laws on the book. So, you know, this guy marries this woman and, you know, he's from this establishment family and I'm going to forget half of the story, but that doesn't really matter for the point. Um, But basically he realizes at some point that like this marriage is unsuitable for his station because Mm -hmm. she is clearly mixed Um, And so he files for an annulment on the grounds of her having committed fraud by not telling him um, that um, that she was part black. And, you know, so this is I feel like this really gets to the heart of of that question. So. Right. uh, The craziest part for me um, when I read this book was that the courts didn't really actually question whether that was a valid grounds um, to say that she had defrauded him. It was like, well, yes, if she didn't tell you um, that she was black, like, yeah, that is definitely grounds for an annulment. And so the case really centered around whether he ought to have recognized that she was black. Um, So really crazy stuff. And I think of that when I think about passing and I think about also how, race becomes um, very much about um, what's sort of inscribed on on your body um, that, you know, this is very, so like they had things like she had to show her skin like in her underwear to the jury, like really like yeah. crazy stuff that was really about whether he ought to have recognized by her features that she was not white um and so when I think about ideas of passing like there's also this unlike I think in many ways like the Jewish thing is interesting because I think also there's multiple layers to anti-semitism right so like if somebody converts um and there's lots of examples of early intermarriages for example where somebody converted and they're more or less accepted, except for by, like, the worst of anti-Semites who, you know, think that Jews are less than. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's, like, that ability to sort of to convert and just partake in um, white society, whereas I think because of that legal history and that sort of post-slavery history, really, um, of how Black uh, people are racialized, that there's this idea that if you're found out, um, you lose everything. Um, and that you can be found out, not just by like asking who your people are, but somebody's going to notice that like maybe your nose is wide and start going on a digging expedition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, um, to me, a really fascinating thing. And I think, you know, and I'll, I'll say this, like, 
I think that since multiracial categories have come onto the census and things like that, we have moved away from this idea of like a one drop rule. Um, but that was by a lot of lobbying on the part of mixed people to get that put there, um, to be able to recognize, um, that race isn't just a binary anymore. Um, and it never was. Um, but you know, it really is, um, we are, I think finally turning a bit of a corner in terms of, um, being able to talk about race in less, um, bad pun alert, black and white terms. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what, what pushback did you receive? So you, your um, colleague at the forward had written an article about this and she received a lot of pushback. And I'm wondering what type, when you expanded on it and explained the historical significance of this within the United States, what did you, how, how was pushback directed towards you and, and what, what sort of feedback did you receive from your own article? So I got... I was actually surprised at how little I got, um, partially, um, I think for a number of reasons I got less, um, but some of which is, I, I think a lot of the pushback that I got was people being like, yeah, that's really nice, but that's not actually how the word passing is used now. So like, yeah, I accept your, your point that there's a different history, um, but I'm still going to use the word passing because it makes sense to me, mm-hmm. uh, was some of what I got. And also I got a little bit of pushback, um, of people basically just misunderstanding, that there's a difference between social history and legal history. Um, and that to say that Jews legally were white doesn't mean that socially we were white. Um, and, you know, so a little bit of that, but I got shockingly little, um, sort of, I would say aggressive pushback. Um, and I think there's a few reasons for that. One is, and I think it goes back to what I mentioned about like the cognitive dissonance, people see a picture of me and like, I look really white Jewish. And so they don't have that same, like they don't get their back up in the same way that they do when somebody who looks much darker um, says something that doesn't sit well with them. Like I, you know, we have problems with race in the Jewish world. I'm not going to pretend we don't. Um, And also like I come from an academic background, so I make sure to, plug as many holes in my argument as I can. So it was a much longer essay than, uh, than Nyla's original piece had been, um, and much, um, and like much more of a sort of a feature piece than an opinion piece in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it, it, for some of those reasons, um, I got a little bit less pushback than I would have otherwise. Um, but I was actually shocked at how little pushback I had. And also like I had some really rewarding conversations with people on Twitter about it. Um, like the one that I mentioned um, before with the guy sort of saying, yeah, but like, how does this not relate to the Jewish experience out of which I sort of developed that framing of like, there's a difference between passing and assimilating. Mm-hmm. Um And it's been a really rewarding experience in that sense that, like, 
I, I jokingly, people have jokingly said that I'm like the nicest person on Twitter. Um, and I try to engage everyone in good faith. <laughs> yeah. Um, <and> so, <laughs> you know, I, I jokingly, I jokingly have taken that on. It's like my little Facebook bio note says like people have told me I'm the nicest person on Twitter. Sure. Um, and, um, you know, I try really hard as long as somebody's engaging in good faith with me that I engage in good faith back with them because, changing the way that we define our race is not easy. Um, you know, I know people who are mixed, who, um, have always been taught to define themselves as black. And like, even though there is no multiracial categories on the census, they will always see themselves and define themselves as black. Whereas other people have walked into other uncomfortable sort of racial circumstances and not been able to shift the way that they frame their racial identity either. Mm-hmm. And so for Jews who have always been, um, I should, I should specify for, you know, your for Ashkenazi Jews whose families came from Europe, um, most recently, um, changing that framing away from sort of that otherness feeling um, is really hard. And I think like there's no accident that there's like numerous books about when did Jews become white, Um, you know, like multiple scholarly books on this topic now that really looks at sort of this idea of Jewish whiteness being quite conditional um, and also extremely recent. Um, and what that means. And also, I think, you know, and this, I think, gets to the heart of some of the questions that, you know, you and I talked about um, before the interview of, like, what is race? Is race something that we see ourselves as? Or is race something that's ascribed to us? Um, And, you know, or both? And what does it mean when one thing doesn't match the other? Um, And those are really tough questions and I just you know I always come back to like race is a social construct that changes constantly like who is white outside of and I'm talking now in social categories Mm -hmm. who is white has changed so much in the last hundred years that um you know we I think we're constantly at a loss for catching up to it and I like I always say and this is why I'm really happy to be in Canada where we talk about ethnicity first and race second in many ways. And I'm not saying that, you know, we don't have racism here. Sure. Of course. No, I I mean, I mean, just even the, the, there being a nuanced decision to, to know that difference is shows, uh, more maybe evolvement about the subject. Like I'm just opening up, um, trying to remember, um, yeah, okay, so I just found my little screenshot of the 2011 census um, in Canada, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, question 17, what were the ethnic or cultural origins of this person's ancestors? <clears throat> and it lets you choose Canadian, or it lets you write in as many as you would like, and there are four boxes, mm-hmm. and it suggests... Canadian, English, French, Chinese, East Indian, Italian, German, Scottish, Irish, Cree, Mi'kmaq, Salish, Métis, Inuit, Filipino, Dutch, Ukrainian, Polish, Portuguese, Greek, Korean, Vietnamese, Jamaican, Jewish, Lebanese, Salvadorian, Somali, Colombian, etc. 
Then question 18, is this person an Aboriginal person that is First Nations, Métis, or Inuk? And then you can say no, and then you can say yes. Um, and it says First Nations includes status and non-status. And then question 19, so the third question is, is this person mark X more than one or specify if applicable? And it's a race question, and it's partially cut off here, but it says like white, South Asian, Chinese, Black, Filipino, Latin American, Arab, et cetera, et cetera. So already when you look at like the American census, you basically have a fraction of the ways Mm -hmm. that people self-define racially and ethnically that you do we have three questions basically about race and ethnicity two of which are not related to indigeneity um on our canadian census and this is the long-form census not everyone gets this but that's like huge um And the explanations say, like, this question collects information on the ancestral origins of the population and provides information about the composition of Canada's diverse population. So it's really circumscribed that this is what Canada is and this is what Canada is about. And I also feel like, though, like, even though I write on race in an American context, like, I can't escape that that is the culture of race and ethnicity I grew up in. Um, And so, you know, it makes maybe some of my takes on on race in America a little bit more, a little bit more outside of wanting to make everything a binary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it always shocks me how binary the U S is and it makes perfect historical sense and, and everything. Like I understand the reasons that it's evolved in the way that it has. Um, but coming from a culture where the majority of black kids that I grew up with were Caribbean um, or African, um, it's a very different way of understanding blackness and it's a very different way of understanding whiteness where like, yes, okay, you might be white, but you're also Polish or Portuguese or Greek. And that's Mm -hmm. like something that is actually like, I always think of the census as very much being a legal way of looking at things. Um, that it's actually circumscribed in that way, that the government actually wants to know where your family came from. It's not just like this melting pot American model of like, how do you fit into our racial categories? It's very much about preserving that family history. Yeah, the, the when you were when you were listing off all of those groups, it just felt like there was all this excitement <laughs> yeah. in, in that and that, that just that it, it almost felt celebratory to have uh, that yeah. that option. And like, obviously Canada is far from perfect on questions of race and ethnicity, but I always just feel like this, this approach and, and, you know, we're not also, we're not like impervious to the effect of American discourse on race. Like we're so close and our culture here is very much like, you know, most of what we get on TV is American and, you know, all the rest of that. Um, But, you know, I think that we are at least taught to frame things in these ways. It doesn't mean that our economic systems are, you know, not very much circumscribed around race and immigration status and all of that sort of stuff. Like, of course it is. Um, But at least 
at least socially speaking, um, and sort of understanding what it means to be Canadian, like we have enshrined the concept of multiculturalism in sort of federal government mm-hmm. policy here. Um, and I think that's a really um, crucial difference. Like, you know, Pierre Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's father, um, introduced the idea of multiculturalism as part of like what it means to be Canadian and enshrined it that we have um, a department of multiculturalism at the federal level. Um, And we have had things like, um, you know, my first job that I mentioned working on the Holocaust project was funded by the community historical recognition project. That was um, a funding module in the department of multiculturalism for communities to talk about the ways in which Canada wasn't necessarily super amazing about, um, about their ethnic origins. So, you know, the Jewish projects were about immigration restrictions, for example, um, the Chinese projects, um, that got funded under it were around the head tax for immigration. So, you know, there is sort of on that national level, Mm -hmm. um, a recognition both that Canada is a tapestry um, and that uh, and that's what makes us Canadian and also that Canada hasn't also always been amazing at um, recognizing and dealing with that tapestry. Um, so, you know, I really do appreciate that framing and it's sort of because I very much walk through both worlds and like my mom was, my mom was raised here. My dad was raised in the U S where it was like, you were black or you were white. And that's Mm -hmm. the end. Um, you know, I feel comfortable sort of talking in both registers, but as far as like ideologically, I'm much more comfortable in the Canadian, um, model of ethnicity. And also like there's, there's something really, um, based in self-definition in that, um, that, you know, you might be white, but you are also Italian or French or, um, you know, I'm just looking back Polish, um, whatever that might be. So like, there's something about the fact that you fill it in yourself on the census that I think is ideologically significant, whereas the race category is a checkbox. I had thought about saying this before when we were talking about passing, but I have been reading a lot about this woman, Senda Berenson, who facilitated the first game of of basketball played by women in the United States. Right. Uh, she's an immigrant from Lithuania, and she's Jewish, and she was a PE teacher at Smith College. And I realized when I've been reading about her and writing about her that it's it's hard to just say that it was the first game of basketball played by women because also it was just white women right. but then also when i read more about smith college and when they integrated it there were women there who were black they just were passing right and so what what is to be i don't when i'm using language and describing this situation i am trying to acknowledge that this is, was not an inclusive, oh, the, for all women, this is the first game, but also mm-hmm. recognizing that it might not have been known, but that there might have been women there who who were not white only. Right. 
So she said, it's a dicey, it's a thing, it's just a thing. It's a thing that has to be addressed and I don't want to be naive and be like, what a, what an amazing landmark game for women and this, um, when there's still all of these issues of who is being left out. Right. And it's so fascinating and difficult, um, as, as sort of a field to really be thinking about, um, because, you know, and this is why I think like intersectionality as a, as an analytic tool is so useful because it reminds you at every step that, you know, the only sort of that, that it's not only, it's no accident that it came out of black feminist thought, right? That it, you can't just look at something with a gender lens or a race lens, mm-hmm. that you always have to look at things from a gender lens and a race lens and a class lens. And, you know, that all of those oppressions yes. um, and inequalities work together to tell a full story. Um, you know, I wish that we could stop using the term intersectionality wrong. It's not about identity. It's about systems. Um, but that, you know, when we're thinking about, for example, this first basketball game, um, that you're absolutely right. There may very well have been people who were white passing, um, playing, and we've lost those histories, right? Like, I think that's the other piece that's really sad to me is that part of that loss around, you know, actively moving away from black community means that we've lost some of those histories of who these people were. Um, We might not ever know if there was anyone who was passing in that game because they had to actively conceal that identity in order to be at Smith college. Yeah. It, it feels sort of that it's just, there's no, and I think it becomes more and more difficult to say what was a event that, what was a historical event that kind of pushed us forward right. uh, in a clear, decisive way. It, like you were saying, in a black and white way without acknowledging, well, yeah, but there was all this other stuff built into that event that was just not considered or uh, that... Um, maybe it was a, a Senda Berenson was a championship for uh, or champion for for women, but also which women? And it just it it gets it gets so muddy so fast, right? Um, which I mean, I think is the job of a researcher is to to push through the mud and mm-hmm. to 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 find something more more clear. It just and I, I mean, also I think where. You know, I was I was writing a proposal for um, a residency, an art residency in Lithuania, to do more research about Senda Berenson and is it relevant to this gallery in Lithuania that I don't know if this game was inclusive to African American women as well as right. white women, or is that something that I should write about when I'm wanting to go to Smith and do research there just, or when I'm speaking about this to whoever I'm speaking about to, to make sure that I say, you know, this was a situation at Smith at the time and we Mm -hmm. don't know who was included or who was, who was knowingly allowed to be included in this game. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, when we think about sort of anti-racist work, um, that having that recognition is just so 
crucial and it's hard. Like it's obviously really hard to think about who's not here all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's 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 an intellectual exercise in and of itself because we're not wired to think about what's not in the picture. Right. right? Like I think I think really often about um do you remember on Sesame Street, um, they did the little one of these things just doesn't belong here yeah. song? Um, and I think a lot about how <laughs> from like very young ages, like we're taught about how to recognize what doesn't fit a category, not to recognize what a category excludes. Right? Like we're yeah. taught like this this thing, you know, you've got like a dog, a cat, a pig, and a box of Kleenex. And like how that, you know, I'm sure that there's developmental psychology around like why kids need to learn that at that age and like how that that's like how our brains actually function is is by classifying things. Um, but so it in some ways is like countercultural or counter human nature, whatever, to sort of look at like, here's the category and like, what does that category actually exclude Mm -hmm. or like what's at the margin of the category that like, isn't showing up within Um, there's all sorts of sort of tough questions (laughs) to ask. Yeah. Who is not, who is not here? Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming on. And of course I think, Maybe you could come on again in the future as you continue to write. And as I continue to do this, we could continue to dissect. Yes, please feel free to have to invite me anytime. This is really fun. And you got me to think hard about why I write the things that I write. Um, <sighs> which it's, you know, you don't often get to take a step back to think about like, why do I write the things that I write? And you've really encouraged me to do that. Good, good. Well, I hope you make a full recovery and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you. You too. All right. Take care. (laughs) Bye. Bye.